And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. There's been one demand, and that's holding up that Lombardi trophy, period. That's all I care about, is holding that trophy up and holding that trophy up here. The prime thing is you have to win. You have to win. Otherwise, you can't be a success in professional football. You're listening to The State of the Nation with Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Tashawn Reed, and Ted Nguyen on the Athletic Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to State of the Nation here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am Jimmy Durkin, and I will be joined shortly by Vic Tafer, Deshaun Reed, and Ted Wynn. This is a special edition of State of the Nation because we will also be joined by many of you, many of our listeners, many of our subscribers here at The Athletic. We're trying out a new thing here at The Athletic, our live rooms. And what follows is a recording of a live room that we did on Thursday, February 10th at noon. Hope to make this a regular feature here at The Athletic. So, Keep an eye out. We'll announce whenever we're going to do these, and you guys can come join us and be a part of State of the Nation. Be a part of our show. Ask us questions, and should be a lot of fun. So here is our recording of our Raiders Live Room. Right. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Uh, welcome to a special live edition of State of the Nation. We're going to get going here in just a, a minute or two. We've got myself, Jimmy Durkin, Ted Wynn, and Vic Tafer. Uh, hopefully, Tashawn Reed will join us in a little bit, but... Ready to talk a little bit about the Raiders, their offseason, coaching staff, all that. Uh, how are you guys doing today? What's up, guys? Hey, what's the word? Well, uh, for, for all the listeners out there, you guys can uh, request to speak. Um, you can hit that button uh, at, to join the stage. We'll call on you to ask some questions. There's also the chat feature. But, um, you know, before we get to, to some of the uh, the questions and whatnot, I mean, Vic, you wrote uh, a story about Patrick Graham, the Raiders, you know, Call him new defensive coordinator, not officially announced yet. Uh, the Raiders are, are taking their time with announcing all their assistant coaches. But uh, for you with Patrick Graham, uh, calling around, talking to some of the people from his past, his early coaching days, what, what are your impressions of, uh, of the Raiders' new D.C.? Yeah, I think he definitely looks like one of those guys you, you tab as a future coaching star years ago. He's kind of making his move now. He's been around a little bit. Uh, Charlie Weiss says he's one of the, the brightest guys he's been with in his days of the Patriots. I think um, – a guy who likes to uh, relate to his players, definitely wants to move guys around. He's going to use different packages, different alignments. Can't we really say he's a 4-3 guy or a 3-4 guy? I think coming to the Raiders, he knows their strengths are definitely, you know, they got Ngakwe and Crosby, so they got some big-time pass rushers, so I'm sure he'll be in a 4-3 uh, at least some of the time, if not most of the time. But, uh, yeah, I think it's a pretty exciting hire. I was definitely down uh, when they lost Gus Bradley. I thought Gus did a great job last year. When Gus Bradley left, I thought it was a big deal, but I think this guy sounds like he has the goods. You know, I mean, and the fact that the Giants wanted to keep him, Brian Dable coming in, wanted to keep him and thought he was going to keep him and was able to steal him away. I mean, that, that kind of speaks to, you know, you, when you get a guy that's in demand, at least uh, to some degree, that's got to be good. Uh, for you, Ted, what do you, what from studying his scheme, his system, and, and just seeing his past, what what do you like about him? I think the, the thing with um, 
Graham, it's just how adaptable he's been. You know, like he coming from that Patriots tree, everybody thought that he was going to go heavy blitz, play a ton of man coverage. But when he first got to the Giants, he didn't have the players to do that. He didn't have the corners to be able to man up as much as uh, he wanted. And he was able to adjust and he ran more zone. And the Giants were pretty good in his first year as a DC. And obviously the defense fell off a little bit. I mean, they fell off in last year, but I mean, they had some injury issues, some talent issues, and their offense put them in really bad position with a ton of turnovers. Um, but I think overall, when you just look at the way he's been able to adjust his pedigree um, and you look at the things he does on defense, he's very sound, very smart. Uh, there's a lot to get excited about with, with Patrick Graham, and this is probably the best four-man pass rush that he's ever had as a defensive coordinator with the Raiders. Are you telling me that having your offense do quarterback sneaks and backed up against the goal line is putting the defense in bad position? Yeah, that's pretty tough. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tashawn has joined us now. What's going on, Tashawn? What's up, man? I was having some issues figuring out how to get it on my phone, but we're here. I stopped being an old man. <laughs> You're the young one, man. Come on. Um, all right, we do have uh, a first person who would like to come in and ask us a question. Uh, Anthony Q, I'm going to bring you onto the stage. Oh, there we go. Sorry about there that, guys. There we go. <laughs> All Sorry. Good. How you guys doing? Good. Yourself? Great. Hey, uh, it's kind of surreal, man. I read you guys' stuff all the time. You guys do great work. Really appreciate everything you do for our for our crazy fan base that we got. Um, hey, Vic, you've uh, for for better or worse, you know, you've been getting kind of lambasted in in our in our family that we have here. Um, guys, been trying to come for you a little bit. I don't think it's really really fair, but you did say something in your last article. You said that you have serious doubts about Carr. I know Carr is going to be, you know, a huge hot button topic throughout this off season, but what is it that, that you're seeing or feeling besides, I know, tying, you know, McDaniels and, and uh, Ziegler to him. But I mean, you know, McDaniels has already done this. He shipped the quarterback out before Carr's much better than what Orton was. I, I, for me, I, I get the long-term view, and is that really what what's driving your your thought process on that? Yes, it's strictly, it's strictly a long-term thing. Just as far as like, you really want to uh, sign a guy because he's going to need a long-term contract and extension. So you got to sign probably to you know, another four-year, hundred and fifty million dollar deal, whatever the market will be. It's pretty huge right now. So, to me, if you're a new regime coming in. Uh, and as much as you might like Derek Carr, and, and but I just think that looking forward, I don't know, that's a, that's a big big leap to make as far as tying yourself to a guy uh, at, at this point when you don't really have to. I'm not sure. Like you look at the uh, the guys who are still with the Raiders, you know, Brass and Mark Davis, you like Dan Ventrelli and and Delaney, the contract guy. Uh, are those guys really uh, super high on Derek Carr? I'm not sure. So I think you look at all that stuff, and it might make more sense to deal Derek Carr than it does to sign him long term. Okay, I appreciate it, guys. All right, thanks a lot, thanks, Anthony. Man, man I'm, get, I'm getting lambasted. What am I, I'm getting blasted for? Man. Yeah, they're tearing <laughs> you up in the comments, man. It's they are. Out here for you. Yeah, spit out, man. Shit. All right. <sighs> I swear. All right, we're gonna. Yeah, yeah. What do you get? All right, Rob C, you are on the stage. Hey, what's what's going on? You guys can hear me? Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. can. Hey, Vic, thanks for being cool on the weekend when a uh, fanboy didn't and came up and said hi to meet you, buddy. Oh, it's cool, man. Nice meeting you. Yeah, you too. Anyways, guys, if we don't get um, anybody good on the right side of the line or anybody different in free agency, do you think we'll move Denzel to tackle 
or Leatherwood, and you think Denzel will bump inside to guard? What do you guys think about that? I think they'll probably experiment with Leatherwood. I, it's not really experiment because he was drafted to be a right tackle, but um, they'll probably tr- give him another shot to play the position he was drafted to be. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think they'll probably give him a shot to play right tackle again, but they have to be pretty smart about having a backup plan in case it doesn't work out because he was just so bad when he played right tackle um, that you can't count on him to make – that large of a jump from where he was to where they need him to be. Uh, so I, I think Denzel good playing, uh, you know, potentially moving right tackle could be um, a viable backup plan, but uh, I, I would think, you know, they would want him to play guard and maybe find another serviceable right tackle uh, for depth and as a backup plan in case Leatherwood doesn't work out. Yeah, I think regardless of whether they, you know, keep Alex Otherwood at right guard or move him back to right tackle, I think they need to go out and, you know, make a significant addition along the offensive line, whether that's through the draft or free agency. Because, you know, even with, with Denzel Good, I mean, he's coming off a pretty serious injury. Um, you know, he's he's into his 30s now. Um, and, you know, I think he's, uh, you know, a, a perfect, you know, kind of swing guard, swing tackle, you know, being versatile enough to play all those positions. Um, but I think they, they kind of want – you know, maybe a younger guy or maybe somebody else stepping in as a, as a starter, um, just kind of with that long-term view that they've taken with the offensive line with, with going young with Andre James and, and Leatherwood and, you know, some Colton Miller is still pretty young. And so I think the good news for them is, you know, both through the draft and free agency, there's a, there's a good amount of players, both at guard and tackle. So uh, I really kind of does think it starts with, you know, making a decision on Leatherwood, you know, do you think he can play right tackle in this league or do you kind of, you know, see enough from his running blocking late in the season to keep him at guard? And I think you kind of build it out from there. Yeah, it makes sense. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Keep. All right. Thanks a lot, Rob. Right now, we're going to head over to Stephen F. How's it going? Can you, am I coming in okay? Yep, you're good. Awesome. This is a very cool thing you guys are doing. Keep this up. This is amazing. Um, hey, I actually really like most of the hires that they've made thus far. It's, you know, you know, with McDaniels, I guess I was a little weary at first but i've actually warmed up to it i i think the biggest question mark though would be the the tom mcmahon hire does somebody have maybe a little bit of insight as to i guess what they find desirable about some of the things he's done over the years it just doesn't seem like his units have produced uh very much but i don't know just wanted to offer that up as a topic appreciate the work you guys do thanks yeah, I think, uh, you know, he probably broke down that play with the Colts to them, and they, they were sold that <laughs> if it had better execution, he'd be, you know, the best special teams coordinator. No, I think, um, you know, I think something that we've seen a lot throughout, you know, constructing this coaching staff is, you know, familiarity with McDaniels seems to be stressed as something being very important. I don't think that's atypical for most coaches, but uh, they did coach together for that one year in St. Louis in, in 2011. Um, it didn't go all that well, but, you know, they know each other, they know how each other works. Um, and I think, you know, obviously, you know, Ziggler and McDaniels have their own history, but also throughout the coaching staff, it seems like they're trying to, even though they have, you know, this coaching staff overall and this personnel department overhaul, they're trying to make things as, you know, have as much continuity as they possibly can going into the season. Yeah, it probably just leads to trick plays to uh, McDaniels, even let him draw the special team trick plays too. But uh, I think it will be easier because the Raiders have a very strong special teams unit with their, you know, kicker, punter, and long snapper in place. So I think that midget, you know, meditates the risk of disasters happening, like bad snaps and that sort of deal. Um, but I mean, it, it's kind of hard to just judge special teams coordinators. Um, you know, if, if the only thing we're judging him based off of 
is that trick play from a while back. You know, maybe that's a little unfair, but um, we'll, we'll see what happens w- with him. It, I, I just, I don't know. We, we don't know that much about special teams and we don't know that much about special teams coordinators. So we're just going to have to see how it, how, you know, what, what happens and write it out. Um, that's very fair. Thank you very much, everybody. Appreciate All it. Right. Thanks a lot. All right. Now we're going to go head over to Jack G. Doing good. How are you all? Uh, wanted to uh, see if we could get Vic to sing on this episode. I vote yes. I vote yes. No, 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 Vic. I mean, we got the, the Super Bowl <laughs> halftime performance this week. Why don't you join? You got, you got a nice little your, audience over here, man. All the loyal subscribers deserve it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so my question is, you know, what do you guys see happening with Corey Littleton? Obviously, with the, the dead money and the cap hit that that would take, and uh, not really seeing much uh, much of a trade market for him. you think there's a chance he has a better success in Patrick Graham's defense, or how do you see that one playing out? And then I also, you know, I think it'd be interesting to hear your guys' thoughts on the Drake and Jacobs uh, backfield, since we didn't really get to see the potential of that with between Gruden's fascination with Peyton Barber and Jacobs being dinged up and Drake's injury, obviously. Yeah, I think starting with Littleton, uh, it seems like a pretty sure bet that he's released. It's just a matter of, you know, do they release him before or after June 1st? And the reason why that's significant is if they released him, you know, before June 1st, you know, it comes with a big dead money hit for this year and they free up a little bit of cap space, but they're freed up from dead dead cap hits from him moving forward in the future. Um, If they were to designate him as a post-June 1st um, release, then they would free up more cap space now, but they would have a dead cap hit for him next year. Um, and so it kind of just depends, you know, Ziggler, how he views, um, you know, the benefit of kind of just eating the contract now versus spreading it out and um, freeing up more space in the immediate future. Um, in terms of the backfield, um, I think, you know, obviously the huge thing is, is Josh Jacobs' health. You know, we haven't really seen him be healthy um, for a full season at this point in his career. Um, and and Kenyon Drake, I don't, you know, while he did add an element as a pass catcher, um, you know, and kind of has some success right up before he got hurt. He's not very good running between the tackles. He's not really a, a traditional runner in that sense. And so I don't know how much, you know, in terms of those types of runs, like how much workload he's really taken off of Josh Jacobs, given that he's not very good at those. You know, you don't want to just give somebody else handoffs just for the sake of it. Um, and so I feel like, you know, the jury's still out on that tandem. Um, but if Jacobs is healthy and can stay up the whole season, um, maybe they mesh together a little bit more next season. I was going to say, I think with Littleton, you got three guys and him and Nassib and, uh, and Kwiatkowski all with bad contracts, but I'm not sure you can cut all three of those guys. I think you got to pretty much, I imagine they might say, hey man, pick one of these guys who you think <laughs> might fit in the best or can play for you a little bit and maybe bite that bullet, or maybe even two guys. But I wonder, that's, that's a lot to, to ask for as far as uh, dead cap hits on all three of those guys. So I don't know if Littleton will fit in with, with Graham, if maybe Nassib's a better fit as far as that. That you know, that uh, backup uh, end guy, but um, I think you got to pick one of those guys to at least uh, stay on and play another year. Thanks, guys. Hope to see more of these in the future. Right, we're going to turn it over now to David R. Hey, guys, how you doing? Good. Great. Yeah, right on. So we know Mark Davis has a has a dream of of the Raiders playing in the Super Bowl in Vegas in 2024 um, from a high level. We don't want to get too granular. We don't want to be here until tomorrow. But, you know, from a high level, what are some of the, you know, I would say whatever, maybe the three to five components that need to, that need to be in place, you know, for something like that to happen? I think it starts, you know, number one, you know, making a decision on you know, who they want their quarterback of the future to be, whether that's extending car, um, you know, drafting somebody else or 
you know, maybe trying to swing a trade for another veteran or a free agency signing. I think it all, you know, has to start with the quarterback, especially in the AFC with, you know, guys like Mahomes and Allen and Burrow and Herbert and all the other star quarterbacks that are coming up. I feel like, you know, in order to advance in the playoffs, you know, not to say that teams without an elite quarterback haven't won before. Obviously, we've seen that, but it seems like it's going to be very difficult to do that, you know, in the next five to 10 years in the AFC, especially in their division. Um, so I think it all starts there. Um, and then after that, I, I would say figuring out defense in terms of while well, we saw, you know, improvement from their defense this past year, you know, they were still down there in some of the, the, the base metrics in terms of points per game allowed and things of that nature. And so if they can even, you know, league average defense in terms of points allowed per game, I think that'd be huge, you know, for their, for their chances in that area. And then third, you know, I think, you know, in terms of McDaniels, uh, you know, has he really figured it out from that failure with the Broncos? You know, has he changed in terms of not just understanding football, but also understanding people and learning how to, you know, manage coaching staffs, manage a roster on and off the field. Um, I think if he, you know, fails in that department again, I think all that the Super Bowl talk will be, you know, far out the window. I think the old line, you need to add like either a veteran stud or maybe draft someone high to kind of get that old line back to uh, where you want to be in terms of uh, some guys you can bank on as being, you know, uh, good players going forward. I think continuity would be pretty big. I mean, you don't want to be reshaping the roster year after year. Uh, I also think that McDaniel's system could be pretty hard to learn. That's why you see, in, you know, when he was with New England, it was the same offensive guy. You know, they had these core pieces that were there for years and, and they would add pieces around that. But I think you need some continuity, especially in the system is very expansive, but it, it works if you're able to, to master it. So continuity at quarterback and, you know, around some skilled players like Darren Waller and Renfro, keep those guys around. But yeah, 2024 is a long, long way from now. I got to give you part of the, the Kyle Shanahan answer. We, we, we don't even know we're going to be alive in 2024. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And I guess just a, just a quick follow-up question before you guys move on from me. Speaking of that continuity, is Carr the guy that you could that you could potentially win that game with in 2024? In my opinion, I think he fits this offense very well. I, I think he fits exactly what McDaniels wants uh, from a quarterback. Uh, but I also understand Vic's angle with the contract and you know where it could get messy in, in that aspect. But from a football schematic uh, standpoint, I, I think Carr is exactly uh, what McDaniels wants in a quarterback. Agreed. Yeah. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks, yeah, I was going to add in on the car thing. Uh, I mean, like if the 49ers had Derek Carr against the Rams, they probably are in the Super Bowl right now. So I think it's, mm-hmm. I think he's definitely, you know, a quarterback you can win one with. He's maybe not, he maybe isn't going to be the reason why you win the Super Bowl, but I definitely think you can win one with. All right. Appreciate it, David. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. All right. Now we're going to move on. We've got Victor F. All right, Victor, how you doing? Hey, uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, big time fans for a lot of you guys. Um, quick question. Uh, I know you guys were talking about, um, you know, Shanahan. Do you think McDaniels can be in the same breath of McDaniels? Excuse me, not McDaniels. Uh, Shanahan, McVay, all those guys, they're on the same age. So what do you think his ceiling is? My opinion of McDaniels was he was always that he's in that top tier of play callers with those guys. I mean, he does it differently. You know, they, those guys are outside zone guys, and they come from kind of the same family schematically. But – to me, I, I always thought McDaniel's was in that class of, of uh, play callers. Yeah, I think there's huge upside. I think that I get why they hired him. I think you look at I mean, obviously he, he needs to show some growth. He, he's mentioned how he's kind of grown 
as a leader and has a people person since that first job. So that'd be the key thing for him, I think. But otherwise, in terms of X's and O's and learning from Belichick, those are all the things you want to see in a coach who you think has a chance to succeed in the future. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that gave me more faith about, you know, McDaniels, you know, being a successful head coach the second time around is um, Ziegler having personnel decision-making power because I think that was a huge reason why McDaniels failed with the Broncos was having that power, you know, in his early 30s to trade away Jay, Jay Cutler and Brandon Marshall and draft Tim Tebow in the first round and, and some of the other moves that led to them, you know, him getting fired before the end of the second season. So I think the fact that he doesn't have to worry about that responsibility or, or maybe have some mistakes or have the potential to have some mistakes in the area as much as before, I think that should help him in terms of maybe, you know, getting up there in the, in the hierarchy of the head coaches across the yeah, I mean, I think it was good that he had an answer in terms of why he thought he failed in Denver, right? That he didn't just, you know, try to BS it. He's like, yeah, I, I didn't know how to deal with people. And I think that was that was a good thing that he, you know, I, obviously when he gets into these interviews, I'm sure he's got an answer, but that he had an answer ready to like actually announce like, yeah, this is, I know you guys are all probably nervous about me coming in here because I stunk with the Broncos, but I can tell you what, I can at least get tell you one thing I've learned. Whenever you ask somebody like, oh, what have you learned through something? And they can't give you an answer. Uh, that's a bad sign. So I think that's that's where you kind of point in the right direction. That okay, he 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 thinks he's learned something. Let's uh, we'll we'll see what happens. You know, once once he starts coaching this team again. But uh, I mean, to me, that was a positive sign that he had a, like a specific answer. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks. Right, we've got Benjamin H now joining the stage. Thanks so much for taking my question. Since we're in the offseason, I have kind of a meta question for this group. I guess this question is mainly for Vic, but I'd love to hear from Tashawn and Jimmy as well. Sometimes when some calamity <clears throat> hits this team, you know, which I've been following for 40 years, after the calamity happens, Vic will say in an article, yeah, this was coming, and you know, I've been hearing about this. And I always think as a reader, well, why didn't you tell us before it happened that this was brewing? So I'd love to hear, Vic, you speak to how you balance publishing what you hear with maybe sitting on it and, and how you just make that decision. Can you give me an example of recently, an example we're talking about? I was afraid you were going to ask that. I'm in my 50s. <laughs> I got two kids. My memory sucks. But, but, try, but there, but, but there are plenty try. of calamities to choose from. That's fine. I, I try in one of my writing to kind of um, hint at things that I think are common. But obviously, there are things you don't want to come out and say. Like, definitely things you hear that may, um, you know, in confidence. You don't want to, if, if you say them out loud, it'll be obvious where you heard them from. So I try and balance the line of letting people in into what I think is going to happen, but um, not getting too far. Like, I got in trouble a few years back when I heard that Mike Mack might be out at the first year, and obviously he wasn't. But um, so there's always a fine line. But I, I try and, um, let people in to what I'm hearing, but obviously I can't let you guys all the way in, so I definitely hold back. And I don't want to come off as like a, I'm one of those guys that says, "Yeah, I knew that was coming." That sounds like pretty lame. I do that too often. I apologize, but um, I, I try and let you guys in on what, what I'm hearing. You know, and we appreciate it, Tashawn. What about you? Since you're in Vegas, I mean, do you hear rumors like, "Boy, Henry Ruggs really likes to drive fast," or you know? Do you get inklings about players like Arnett or whatever who might be having some problematic off-field behavior? Um, I didn't – like with those two situations, I didn't necessarily have things like that. I mean, you always – I mean, whether it's just from you living in Vegas and, you know, being around things like the Strip and maybe seeing people and things of that nature, like you may pick up on things. But like as a reporter, like for example, like if I – let's say I hear something from – somebody about some somebody within the Raiders organization, but it's just that one person. 
Uh, you typically don't just run with something like that because, you know, I mean, we need secondary sources and somebody's perspective somebody could be completely wrong. And so you don't want to, especially when it comes to like character judgment um, or, or legal matters or things in that situation, like you can't, you know, if you just have one person on it that'll speak on it on the record, you know, sometimes you just can't go with it. Yeah, Sean, we, get, we need you in the clubs researching every weekend. <laughs> in Vegas. You're, you're, you're the research guy. Um, but you know, I, I think, you know, one probably example if you look at is you know, obviously the John Gruden situation. When when the emails came out, I mean, did any of us expect those emails to come out? No. I mean, had we had any of us seen that kind of behavior at a John Gruden? No. But when you, you know, see that and you hear that and you, you've been around him enough, you know, are you completely stunned by it? You know, that might be kind of more the that might be kind of one of those examples where it's like, okay, could I see John Gruden sending an email like that? Um, yeah, it, you know, I'll call that believable. Did I know that 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 he's talks like that or writes like that or would do something like that? No, but you know, you you kind of you kind of can have a sense of how, who, who some of these guys are. And when things like that pop up, they might not completely surprise you. It, it might be a, an, another kind of good example and a way to describe some of that stuff. All right. Thanks so much, guys. Really appreciate it. Right. Thanks, right. Benjamin. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. All right, we're going to go now to Carlin F. Cool. Well, I'll get straight into the question. One of the successes of Gus Bradley last year was bringing in several guys who ended up being solid starters for us. How many of them do you guys think will stick around next year? Because, you know, most of them are on short-term deals. And how many do you think will leave and either follow uh, Bradley to Indy or otherwise look for greener pastures? I'll jump in. I'll say I think a lot of them might go to Indy because not only is Bradley there, but also Ryan Miles also followed him to uh, Indy. So you got the two guys in the secondary um, in terms of the – so a lot of guys in the secondary this year on the Raiders were – those those guys at school. So also Quentin Jefferson, the guy I think is a free agent. So you wonder if these guys will come back and how the new regime views these guys. So I think there was eight players total, I want to say, last year. I would imagine most of them are not back next year. Yeah, and I think, you know, the other thing to consider is, you know, with Patrick Graham coming in, you know, he has a pretty different – we're going to get into this some more next week, but his philosophy is much different than Gus Bradley's in terms of the coverages he plays and the alignments. And so – um, even if some of those players play well in the Gus Bradley, they may not be fit fits for, for Patrick Graham and what he wants to do. Um, I guess the good news is, you know, one of the most successful, you know, Bradley guys, you know, Denzel Perriman, you know, made the Pro Bowl this season. He's already under contract for next season. So, you know, whether they're in a 3-4 or 4-3, they need that, that middle linebacker, that Mike linebacker to help against the run. And so um, at least Perriman will be in place next year. 
I think Perriman and Casey Hayward would be good to bring back if they can. You know, I know I know Casey Hayward is is kind of that perfect scheme fit for what Bradley wants to do, but I thought he played well enough in man and zone that you know finding solid corners in this league is hard. So I would I would think that the Rays would try to bring him back. I'm curious about Perryman uh, if he might come after them, uh, you know, ask for a new contract. I mean, he signed a two-year, $6 million deal with the Panthers last season, and they inherited that deal when they traded for him. Uh, he makes a Pro Bowl on a two-year, $6 million deal. I, I could see him possibly coming in and saying, all right, can can I get an extension? Can I get a little bump up from that? Um, you know, which I would imagine they would be okay with, with somewhat of a bump, but we know he's got the injury history. Um so I'd, I, that's one thing I would be curious to watch is, is does Perryman, does he play the second year of a, of a, you know, $3 million per season deal? Um, I wouldn't be shocked if he comes in and says, I, I want a little uh, restructuring. Yeah, I can see that. And I mean, especially if they, let's say they get rid of both Littleton and Kwiatkowski and free up some extra space and they can give some of that to him. I mean, KJ Wright is a, is going into free agency as well. And they paid him a, a pretty nice chunk last year. So, um, obviously, you know, the picture is bigger than just, you know, what they're spending in that linebacker, but they have some extra funds at that position, especially, you know, if they are running more kind of three, four principles and, and they use, you know, two linebackers even, you know, more than they did last year, um, less base, base defense then. You figured there'd be some room at least to give them somewhat of a, of a bump. All right. We're now going to head over to Jeremy P. Two-part question, if I could. Somebody was talking about the backfield earlier. Do you guys think that McDaniels, Coming in is a bad sign for Josh Jacobs, seeing as he's coming from a place where again anybody back there and, and have success. Uh, and then Vic, somebody asked earlier about, you know, kind of your procedure about the McDaniels thing. I guess it's pretty clear you're over the target. It's just the, the day before you kind of said the opposite of what ended up happening. So could you talk a little bit about what was going on there and maybe shedding more light? on that situation and your reporting. All right. Why don't you go first? <laughs> go for it. You getting grilled today, man. For the first part, the Jacobs thing, I do think it's a concern as far as McDaniels and, and the whole Patriot way because his option would be like, what is it, $10, $11 million for the fifth-year option? So that doesn't really fit in what they've done there historically. Obviously, these guys are their own people, and they like him more than – and other running backs in the Patriots past, but I would, would think that number would be alarming for both uh, Ziggler and McDaniels as far as uh, his fifth-year option. As far as McDaniels' thing, uh, when I wrote this story, I had said he was the front-runner, and I said he wasn't the front-runner because at that point, I'd heard Ed Dodds was coming on strong at the interview that day, and I thought at that point it was kind of leaning in his direction. Uh, obviously, it didn't work out. That's why these things kind of change, and it's kind of a fluid process, but and as far as also, I think the pairing was important. Like, obviously, Ziggler and, and McDaniels were kind of paired together. I'm not really sure uh, what happened with the Ed Dodds. I'm not sure who he said was his choice as a coach. And obviously, that was part of a, a key part of the process for Mark Davis, getting a, a pair of guys he thought he could kind of uh, count on and like both guys equally. So I think that was probably what may have hurt Dodds in the long run. But um, that's why that was why my, um, my stories changed at that point, because I thought Dodds was coming on at that point. I thought the McDaniels had taken a step back, and obviously he took a step forward and, and, and got the job. Yeah, I think with Jacobs, we were already kind of questioning, you know, even if Passaccio was back as, as coach, you know, whether they would pick up that, that $10 million option. Um, 
you know, obviously the, the, the primary concern with him is, you know, his injury history. But even if he was healthy, just, you know, the, the way that the running backs are valued now, or devalued now and, you know, how easily they were able to replace those guys in New England, um, it, it wouldn't bode well for him. And I think, you know, something else that may hurt his chances is, you know, that they're paying Kenyon Drake about $8 million next season. Um, to be a backup running back. And so I'm not sure if I mean, they have no choice to do that because it's guaranteed, but I'm not sure I see them eating that and then signing up to pay another running back $10 million the next year. I'm not, uh, I can't remember the last time the Patriots spent like $20 million on running backs in the span of two years since I've been alive. So yeah, it does seem kind of far-fetched in order to, for him to hit that number, but maybe, you know, they work on some kind of other alternative ex- extension at a lower number. You can decline the fifth year option. And he can play out next year. And, yeah, I mean, could he hold out? Yeah, he could if he wants to. Um, but if they decline the fifth-year option and he plays out that fourth year and it goes well, you know, they can still re-sign him if, if, they, if both sides want to. So it's like just decl- declining that fifth-year option doesn't mean, like, that suddenly Josh Jacobs is gone and out of here. Historically, the Patriots have been a running back by committee sort of team. They have, you know, one running back play this specific role, this running back play this specific role, this running back play this specific role. Yeah, it would be interesting to see if they keep that philosophy here and uh, if Jacobs ends up going off next year, what they decide to do with him. All right, Jeremy. Hey, thanks for joining us. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Yep. All right now we're going to head over to uh, Syed H. How you doing? I'm so sorry um, there was a microphone problem. Um, Quick question for you guys. Um, This is mostly for Ted. Um, Who do you think is the next O-line coaches for the Raiders? And do you see Josh McDaniels run a lot of zone, a lot of outside zone, or do you see a power team? What do you see? As far as the Raiders O-line hire, I mean, you know, Mike Munchak's out there, but you would think it's a guy that probably has some connection with, uh, McDaniel's and um, you know I think Maroon Doug Maroon who just got hired by the Saints was maybe in the running as well. So there's another guy, Dave. D, I, I'm having a trouble pronouncing his name, but he worked with McDaniel's before. But Dave Digulmillo Mo. I, I'm sorry. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll post wonderful. on Twitter later. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he's he's worked with McDaniel's before. Uh, but um, as far as the Patriots run scheme, they were one of the most diverse run games in the league. In the Super Bowl against the Rams, they ran 16 different run concepts. So uh, they do a lot. Um, but also the Raiders' run game improved when they simplified their run scheme last season and really committed to um, running a lot more outside zone. Um, so I, I think McDaniels wants to have a diverse run scheme, but he also had a veteran offensive line with the Patriots and um, with the Raiders, he's going to have a younger offensive line. So it probably would be smarter to not commit too much to, I mean, t- to try to run too much with them and uh, kind of continue what they did last year and uh, run a little bit more outside zone and then have a few compliments here and there. But uh, yeah, just to answer your question, historically, the Patriots like to run a ton of outside zone. They'd like to, I mean, a ton of different run concepts, a lot of two-back run concepts. Daigulyelmo. Daigulyelmo. There you go. (laughs) I'll definitely look him up. Um, One last question. Do you see um, the Raiders offensive line uh, fitting in with what um, McDaniels wants to do? You know, like I said, I think that this Raiders offensive line as it is now got pretty good at running outside zone towards the end of um, last year and 
McDaniels wants to be, you know, a high variety type of guy just based on what he's done. But I, I also think that, you know, he has run a lot of outside zone before, just not as much as, you know, Shanahan, McVay and those guys too. So it, I, I think, you know, part of why you hire a guy like McDaniels is his adaptability. So um, I, I think it, it can work. Brilliant. Thank you so much. I appreciate you answering the questions. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. Now we're going to head to Moises F. I just want to say I really appreciate your guys' work. I've been following you guys for a few years already. It's great stuff, as always. I guess uh, with the trade rumors around Calvin Ridley, I was kind of wondering, uh, you guys think this coaching staff really pursues him? Or is there even a possibility that they will? Do you guys think Darren Waller could possibly have his best season of his career under Joshua Daniels? In terms of like, the trades, the Raiders are kind of on their weird team in the sense that like, most of their attractive kind of trade candidates are guys that they like, absolutely probably aren't parting ways with, you know? And so unless they, the previous staff, that they were very hesitant to trade draft picks, um, maybe, you know, McDaniels and Ziggler feel a different way. Uh, I would think that will probably be the, the avenue towards getting a player of that caliber. Just trying to think about what the Falcons will want back for, you know, how we saw it really look the last time we saw him. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it kind of comes down to whether, you know, how, how tightly they're holding on to those picks, I think, for that. Yeah, I think the Patriots in the past have shown that they would be willing to trade for a receiver if uh, it, it works out. And to me, I think Calvin really be a great, great fit in McDaniel's uh, system. But I mean, obviously, there's a bunch of unknowns there with, you know, if he's going to come back to football and if he does come back to football, will he want to be on the Falcons or will he demand a trade? But just from a fit standpoint, yeah, I think that'd be a really nice addition to this McDaniel's offense, and um, he could be on the market depending on how things go this offseason. Yeah, I think on the Waller question, um, I'm not sure like he's you know setting the receiver receptions record again because um, you know ideally you know they'll have kind of an improved receiver core and Renfro's progress. Um, and then the Patriots tend to spread things around. Um, I, th- I think he. This season, you know, his his biggest issue was was health. Um, but even before that, he hadn't quite looked like himself. Um, you, even when you know Henry Ruggs was still around and the offense was was rolling, like he he wasn't quite you know that dynamic Darren Waller that we've seen in the past. But you know, I, th- I think I think he does fit you know McDaniel's offense well with all the choice routes that he likes to run and, and option routes and kind of working that that underneath an inter- intermediate area of the field. And so I think there's a lot of potential you know for him within the system, but maybe his, his stat totals aren't you know kind of the, the, the last year that we saw in 20. I was going to chime in. I'd say the uh, Raiders are probably better off drafting receiver than, than trading for one, I think. Um, and also, as far as Waller, I'll say career high in touchdown catches, not in uh, yards or, or, or catches. Hey, man. Touchdown sounds good to me. Uh, thanks, guys. <laughs> uh, All right. Thanks a lot. All right. We're going to take uh, – we've got – start winding this down. But we'll, we got uh, 218 in the lobby, man. 218 I people know. waiting. I know. Uh, waiting it. for you to sing, Vic. Turn this over to Jonathan M. How you doing, Jonathan? Uh, so this question is mainly for Ted. Uh, given that McDaniel's scheme runs a lot of conversion routes, option routes on the outside, would you think that this team would look more towards a veteran receiver on the outside to read defenses, knowing whether to run a corner or a hitch route in those situations can lead to a pick or a touchdown? So do you think they still go for a young receiver in the draft? I think um, a lot of the option routes and route conversions happen on the on the inside with the slot receiver and a tight end. So I think a lot of those responsibilities are going to fall on Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro. And it, it is a tough offense for outside receivers to learn as well. But I, I think 
you know, you just try to get the most talented receiver on the outside you can. And I think there's less learning and responsibilities that the outside receivers have in this offense. So, you know, if I were the Raiders, I would just look for the most talented guy on the outside. It could take the top off defenses and help, you know, bring over some coverage in that, in that area. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe the Patriots have tried to value just kind of football IQ too much with, with wide receivers and it hasn't panned out. I think that's maybe one of the reasons they failed to draft receivers because they don't look at the athletic traits enough or value the athletic traits that you need to win on outside enough. So, I mean, to me, I think you just find the best guys outside and don't give them a ton of responsibilities and just uh, keep those option and route conversions and all those things with the inside guys with Waller and Renfro. All right, cool. Thanks. All right. All right. We will now head over to Benjamin H. Hey, guys. Um, in uh, camp last summer, Vic said something really interesting. I, I remember it vividly, Vic. You wrote that uh, when you saw Alex Leatherwood for the first time that you were surprised that he seemed kind of small. And so I wanted to ask you and Ted if you think that that is part of the problem that Leatherwood had this year. Maybe he's just not big enough to be an NFL tackle. What do you think? Well, my impression, like, you know, you watch the college highlights, you see everyone talking about the draft process. He was this big, hulking kind of guy. That was my impression. Now, when I saw him, he's obviously big, but he's not hes not the guy that I was kind of sold as being this big, mauler kind of guy in the running game. I thought that was uh, – if that was what he could have done, that would have been fine. If he was just a strictly a, a run guy and the passing was going to develop, that would be fine for me, a fine project. But it didn't really happen that way. He kind of wasn't really the factor I thought he would be in the run game either. So I wouldn't uh, – say he was much smaller i thought it was my first impression was wow i thought he'd be he'd be bigger yeah i mean as far as size he's six five three hundred fifteen pounds and he has long arms he has 34 inch arms so uh, i think as far as size he has that prototypical size you you want from a tackle you know he's not like the he's not like a trent will uh, trent brown big that that kind of big tackle but to me that's prototypical size and um I, I don't feel like his um his size and length are reasons why he's hasn't panned out so far. I think it has more to do with the fact that he needs so much technical work that he has to rebuild his fundamentals from the ground up. And then, you know, all of a sudden he has to move positions at, in the middle of the season and go against NFL speed while trying to fix his technique. You know, one of the reasons he was seen as kind of a project and not seen as consensus first round pick. Yeah. I think, you know, with Leatherwood, like if he does end up being a guard, um, it wouldn't be like the most shocking thing. I mean, he did play guard at Alabama, and there were there were you know some questions when he was coming out. You know, some teams did view him as a guard versus viewing him as a tackle. Obviously, the Raiders initially viewed him as a tackle, but I think part of you know why they were attracted to him was that positional versatility. And so, if he ends up being a guard and then starting for ten years, like maybe you know you can have a discussion about you know whether that's you know enough value at seventeen. But I don't think that's necessarily a, a bad outcome. Yeah, maybe I just got spoiled by Trent Brown and Colton <laughs> Miller, but when I when I saw him the first time, I was like, oh, Vic wasn't kidding. He is kind of small. Anyway, right. thanks, guys. All right, we're going to let Ramon R. close it out, be the last uh, to join us. We uh, There are some, uh, some things in the chat. I will uh, we'll, uh, we'll circle through those real quickly, but we'll let Ramon R. close us out here from uh, from the stage. Hey, guys, how's it going? Just uh, was curious regarding this new regime. It seems like in the past – at least in the first round, we kind of pigeonhole ourselves to draft for need. And we end up reaching on guys like Klee and Arnett, Leatherwood. Do you think this regime will be more like 
best player available, or do you think we're still going to be focusing on needs early on? My theory is there is no true best player available theory because unless you have a hard ranking and believe like this guy is so much better than this guy, that's when you, you draft best player available. But in reality, it's more like these guys are in certain tiers. And if all these guys are in certain tiers and you have a real need at a position, then you would grab the guy that's you know kind of in that tier. I don't think drafting you know for need, quote unquote, was the right is drafting the wrong players. I mean, you could have drafted, you know, when you drafted Cleland Farrell, you could have drafted, uh, there was a lot of other pass rushers on the board that you could have grabbed that would have fit a need and would have been better. And it wasn't like we're talking about this uh, now and and criticizing for him now. Every, everybody kind of had Cleland Farrell as a, as a low first round draft pick. So that's just my take on it. Yeah, I, thought, I don't know. The Patriots, they seem like more so of a, I mean, they, they're usually picking late. And so it kind of skews it a little bit. Like we didn't really get much experience with the Patriots, like having like a top 10 pick and seeing if like the Bengals, would they have taken Jamar Chase or, or Panay Sewell? Like we haven't really seen the Patriots in that situation. So it's a little harder to, 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 to gauge it. But I mean, you know, Ziggler, obviously, you know, this, this past year um, was really like his, you know, he was the de facto GM with the Patriots. So he was basically what Mike Mayock was for the Raiders in New England. And, um, you know, they, they went on a big, you know, free agency spree and you know, made some additions through the drafts, but it all seemed very need based. But, um, you know, I think it's more situational than, you know, maybe maybe teams have certain ideologies, but I don't think they necessarily always follow those rules um, in every single draft or going into every single free agency period. I think it's more, you know, flexible and malleable than people may. All right. Hey, well, thanks a lot, Ramon. Appreciate it. Awesome. Hey. Thanks, guys. Should we do two more? Let's do two more. Uh, hey, we got nobody else here, so we're we're gonna go through the chat though a little bit. Um, okay. We got a lot of a lot of stuff coming in the chat. Um, convincing tiptoe through the tulips. Uh, let's see. Uh, there was uh, another one. Uh, I got being mocked. Can, can, like can, no can, can we can we get, can we get Vic singing out here today? See how he does. I feel like this a live a, audience. People um, just mocking me. They don't hear me sing. They're making fun of me. They're really not you know, enjoying yeah, my but, singing gift. It's more of a so, joke. So, I think, tell I think tell Vic that karaoke night at South Point Bowling has great deals on Schlitz pictures. Um, somebody Schlitz? says There's yeah. great deals on Schlitz? <laughs> uh, Dan O says sing or unsubscribe, Vic. Wow. Uh, oh, dude. <laughs> wow. Uh, but some, some actual questions. When does the J.C. Jackson to the Raiders rumors start uh, from Lionel R.? Uh, anybody want J.C. Jackson? I mean, yeah, J.C. Jackson to me is one of the top man corners in the league. Obviously, you know, Graham has some experience working with him. So, but I mean, he, he, it's going to be a huge contract. Anytime you have a top man corner on the market, it's, it's going to it's going to be expensive. Yeah, I'm not sure they have the the money to go get J.C. At the price point, he's going to be it. All right. How about Griffin S wants to know? He says, I've been seeing some noise about going after Jabril Peppers since Graham is here. Would they do that with Ob- with Abram already in that role? Um, nah. I mean, like, I, it, it wouldn't really make sense to me to just go get another box safety necessarily. Because I think, you know, with, with Graham, you know, he does some more split safety formations. And so um, while Abram did, you know, have experience playing, you know, as a too high safety in the past, it went really, really bad. And so... Um, if they are going to bring in another safety, you would think it would be somebody who's more skilled at, you know, kind of playing it as a traditional too high safety. The Honey Badger. Hey, he's out there. Free agent. He'd be a good fit. They should have drafted him years ago. I remember Reggie McKenzie thought about drafting him and he got cold feet, but that would have been a good, uh, good Raider for a long, a long time going. 
All right. Question here from uh, from Dean S. Vic, if they don't extend card, do you really think he plays out his one year deal or are you saying that they that you think they move him? Yeah, I'm saying I don't I don't see why he would. I don't see why Derek Carr would play a, a lame duck year. I think he's had enough and obviously there's enough of a demand. I mean there's definitely a demand around the league for a quarterback of this caliber. That's why I think I got the two options well, the three I guess there's three options, right? The one long term deal, two he they plays on a lame duck deal, or three they trade them. I would think the lame duck deal would be the least option, uh, the least possible. I, I can't see why he would do that. So, and I don't know why he would take us a, a lesser deal. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if I you're the Raiders, if if you're not going to commit to him, then okay, get get the value out of him, right? You can. I mean, you know, we kind of laughed last year when it was suggested that you know they wanted two first round picks for him. It, you know, when there was rumors going about. I mean, this year after the season he had and kind of with what the quarterback market is like. I, might not be impossible. I still don't don't think it's probably likely. I mean, Matthew Stafford got two first round picks, but that was um, in part because they were taking on that bad Jared Goff contract. Um, but I mean, you you get a first rounder plus something, uh, and so yeah, if you're not going to commit to him, you have to you have to take the value that's there right now. The retiring shit is going to go out the window when he getting thirty plus million dollars annually from somebody else. Like I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure I buy the whole. Uh... He has to say that, you know, I get ready until he die and all that. Yada, yada. <laughs> but like, if they really like aren't gonna give him that amount that we know he can get on the open market or for another ten trades for him, like, yeah. I, I really it's hard to see him playing on this contract. And I think he's a competitor. I mean, obviously, if they don't want him, I'm not sure they want him. If they want to move on from him, I mean, I'm sure he wants to prove them wrong. I wants to prove he can win somewhere else, and he still wants to go to you know, win a playoff game and go to that next level. So, I'm sure the competitor and him will. Will uh, erase all the other things you said about you know retiring as a Raider. Is this a time where we could throw out crazy theories? Go for it. What do you got? <laughs> they trade Derek Carr for Aaron Rodgers to prevent him from going to Denver. Not uh, also to get Aaron Rodgers. That's part of it. That's part of it. <laughs> Since you're talking Packers, a uh, question from uh, from Caitlin Elf: Should I go ahead and get a Devontae Adams jersey or not? Nah? I just don't no? see why. I mean, he's a great, great player, but not talking about like JC earlier, but it's so much money. I don't know if they're that close to where you can sign that kind of guy for that much money. I think you're going to get to that next, you know, next level. I, I mean, to me, I, I would think it's it's cost prohib- prohibitive. I would think. I mean, if you like, you know, if you're if you're like from you know Northern California, you can get like his his Fresno State jersey. If that's what you mean. So like, <laughs> if he's actually trying to get thirty million a year, there's no way. All right, uh, I've seen a couple questions come in asking, you know, especially with uh, McDaniels coming in, uh, what do you think about getting Nelson Aguilar back? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was great for the Raiders, and I'm not sure what he, where he stands as far as the Patriots go and, and if Belichick wants to move off from him, but, um, yeah, I think he's a, a very good player. All right, we're going to get to the this final question that's an important one. We're going into Super Bowl weekend uh, from Brian H. What's Deshaun's favorite brand of whiskey these days? We got Woodford whiskey. I think is my favorite. I know, I know we have like an obligation to mention the, the history of that one Bell whiskey Mead. that we drank after the yeah that one. That we I drank just, after I just the picked Ravens up game. the uh, reserve version of that one. So. Yeah, but I'll go for Woodford for now. Woodford, the double oaked. Yep. Got to go double oaked. Uh, he, he enjoys a nice Woodford with his well done stick. It's medium <laughs> well. See, like it, he's lying on my name. Ted has this uh, agenda. He's telling the Twitter streets that I'm eating bricks, and I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> All 
All right. Well, actually, we'll make this the last question. Jess A reminds us this. This we we should do this. Who are we picking to win the championship? Who are we picking to win the Super Bowl on Sunday? What do you guys got? St. Louis Rams are gonna this guy win the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think uh, I know Burrow has like escaped pressure throughout the entirety of the season, really, in the playoffs. But I think it's, it's going to be a little bit harder to get away from Aaron Donald and, and Von Miller, and that ends up um, holding the Bengals back in this one. So I got the. Who oh, you got, Chad? Yeah, I, I got Rams. I, I just don't think that that Burrow is going to be able to get away from three plus pass rushers and Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd, and uh, and and Von Miller, and just looking at a bunch of numbers and analytics stuff. I think it, a lot of it favors the Rams, but again, that's happened throughout the playoffs against the Bengals, and they found a way to overcome. So I think I just got to go with my mind here and, and take the Rams. Yeah, I'm with you. I wanted to roll with uh, Joe Shiesty, but uh, the Rams are. Better offense, better defense, uh, better team. So I think the Rams win. Uh, I'm afraid it will, probably won't be close, but uh, that's my pick also. Hey, last time last time Vic said somebody had the better offense, better defense, better team, he was talking about the Raiders. <laughs> the, the Raiders. on the season against the Chiefs. <laughs> I said they were the better offense, better defense. You said they were clearly the better team. They, yeah. Oh, both you of were so down uh, on the Chiefs offense. I was tricking the two-way yeah, back The offense then. was broken. That was ahead of my time, man. I clearly saw they were a playoff team way back then, so I should get some props for that. I'm going to use that to my advantage. I'm taking the Bengals, and uh, you guys are going to owe me a, a bottle of whiskey uh, after the Bengals win. All right. Sounds good. All righty, everybody. This was a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to try to make these uh, at least a semi-regular thing, but uh, this, this was cool. Good way to uh, get you guys to interact and uh, be a part of the show. So appreciate it. And uh, this will get posted as a uh, as a regular episode of State of the Nation. So uh, for those of you who maybe joined in the middle and want to listen to the rest of it or want to listen back to your questions or whatnot, uh, you'll be able to check this out on the State of the Nation feed. Adios. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little love. I'm not singing the whole thing. I'm singing about three or four lines. <laughs> what the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.